0: you for the chance to to give to you father but we want to worship by receiving now we need some wisdom father especially this is a tough topic this is a topic that causes me to scratch my head in frustration sometimes so i pray that you would teach us a truth that unlocks the wisdom of how to talk to you when we have needs and how to relate to you and what to expect from you as you respond so teach us today Uh, From your word in Christ's name. Amen. Roselva was a person that was uh, not just a member of the church that I pastored for 15 years in Fullerton. She was a friend. Her husband was a friend. Her daughter was best friends with one of my daughters, one of the very first friends that she made when she moved 15 years earlier to the city of Fullerton. So it surprised me one day when right after church, I believe it was on a Mother's Day, that Roselva and her husband asked me if I would slip to the side after the service and pray for them. So I said, well, sure, I can do that. So we slipped off to pray. And and as we prayed, I said, so what can I pray for? What's, What's happening? And with a pretty somber spirit, they said, well, you know, Roselva's having surgery this week, and it's routine brain surgery. Now, as soon as I heard routine and brain surgery together, that didn't make sense. Yeah, the doctors have said it's routine because it's a benign tumor, not cancer. It's on the surface of the brain, not embedded in the brain. And they said, we do these surgeries all the time. It needs to come out. It's growing. It's causing pressure on the brain. It needs to come out. But trust me, this is pretty routine. We do these all the time. So we pray. We very clearly ask God. We ask God for protection, for the doctor's skills, for wisdom for healing, for a quick recovery. I'm also friends with the anesthesiologist who put her to sleep. He's a committed Christian. He prays before he puts every person to sleep. He's the guy I had put me to sleep when I had relatively minor um, surgery on my knees. It's great to know that he prays and then he gases me up gives me the magic elixir, man, and I'm out. But the most important thing an anesthesiologist does is not put you to sleep. It's wake you up. Roselva never woke up. Her blood pressure dropped during the surgery for some totally unknown reason medically. My friend the anesthesiologist went through his best Ivy League training and walked through every step that they're supposed to do if if that doesn't work, then you do this. If this doesn't work, you do that. And if the third thing doesn't work, there's a fourth thing. And one of them always works. Not true. Rosalba went into a coma. They kept her on life support only because her husband agreed to let her death provide life through about 11 different organ transplants that occurred in the weeks that follow or the days that follow. We ask. And God didn't show up. At least from what we could see. We ask and the God who can do anything, do anything, sovereign God that we just sang about, did not perform as we ask him to. Young, vibrant mother of three, great witness as a young follower of Jesus, God took her. I was frustrated, still frustrated when I remember the story because I had to lay her in the ground and tell her husband and her kids that uh, I can't answer the question, why? You see, when we talk about prayer and asking God for things, we have to understand what God promises. We have to understand what He doesn't promise. And we have to understand how we as followers of Jesus walk in the truth and by faith know what to expect. So when you have needs, when you have wants, when you have desires... And it's natural to pray. I think even those who don't believe in God, when they face problems, they pray and they ask and they expect to receive. So how do we figure out what God meant in this passage? Let's read it. We're going to wrestle with the word today together. OK, you awake for this? I hope so. Here we go. Matthew 7, 7. Jesus says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there even among you that when his son asks for a loaf of bread, he gives him a stone? In other words, none of you would do that. Or what man is there among you that when his son asks for a fish, he gives him a snake? He won't give him a snake, will he? Of course not, is the implication in the Greek language. If you then, uh, being evil by nature, know how to give good gifts to your children. Underline the word good gifts. How much more will your father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, here's what your focus should be. Love people, treat people the same way you want them to love or treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. You know, when Jesus lays down this teaching on prayer, I think the first thing we need to remember is that it's part of a single sermon in which he's already talked about prayer earlier in the sermon. One of the most important principles of handling the scriptures well, which I want you to learn to do as you listen to me teach them every week, is never take a verse and just pull it out of its context without looking at the greater whole that it's a part of. It's one of the greatest wrongs that you will do, and it'll lead to a lot of misunderstanding and poor theology. Jesus is laying down a sermon, a unified sermon, starts in Matthew 5, ends in Matthew 7. We're coming to Matthew 7. This is not the first time Jesus has taught us how to pray. It's the first time he's taught us how to pray asking for things because, tell you the truth, in the first example of how to pray, he, he taught us how to approach God, how to approach God with a heart that's in awe of God. In fact, it's the Lord's Prayer. Remember this? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He said, pray that way. And then pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that way. He says, and then just simply say, Lord, just give me this day my daily bread. Be content and just ask for the basics, okay? And and, and Jesus says, pray that way. And then he says, and Lord, forgive me just as I forgive others. Pray that way. "And, and, And Lord, guard me from evil, from temptation and from the evil one. Because I know I'm susceptible to that. Make sure you pray that way. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. Now, when I studied that with you and we broke that thing down, all through the month of uh, July, we walked our way through, late June and July, the Lord's Prayer, piece by piece. The piece that was missing, it seemed like, to me at least, was, okay, Lord, I understand how how to praise you and how to approach you in prayer and how to submit my will to your will and all this stuff. But, Lord, where do I ever get to ask you for stuff? Especially, you know, the everyday stuff that I want to ask God to show up, fix it, provide, guide, direct, all the different things I want to ask for. And I've got a list. And, and it seems to be missing in the Lord's Prayer. And it's interesting that Jesus, when he comes back to the topic of prayer, and again, this is in one sermon, Jesus says, now let me give you the rest of some teaching on prayer. And it's interesting, he teaches this part totally on how to approach God when you need stuff. When you need things, when you need for him to show up and perform and do his thing. And, 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 and I think it's like Jesus is reading the mind of his audience and he knows that they're thinking, OK, but where do I learn how to really ask you for stuff? And, hey, God, are you going to show up and deliver? So Jesus now comes to kind of prayer part two and he teaches us in depth about exactly how to ask and what to expect out of God when you do. So if you want to figure that out today, guess what? Here we go. Here we go. Jesus lays it out for us in three big ideas. I've already read the passage, so let's jump to them. Number one, pray with an expectant faith. Pray with an expectant faith. Expectancy and optimism just flows out of this thing, floods out of this. Listen to it again. Verse 7, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find knock and it'll be open to you man that's optimism that's expectancy that as i ask my heavenly father for things i should expect god to deliver that's all through this it's interesting that as we begin there though that to understand that it's it's as important to understand what is not promised before we understand what is promised in other words, as an old prof of mine and Bill Roth's, Howie Hendricks used to say when you teach the Bible, sometimes you got to blast before you build. Sometimes you gotta, you got you to bring down the false ideas before you can give the truth. So let me tell you what's not taught in this passage that you thought was. Here we go. What is it teaching? The promise is not my will but thy will. The promise is not my want will be provided but my needs. The promise is not My kingdom will come and advance, but thy kingdom come. The promise is not it'll be done on my time, but it'll be done in the right time. Now, let me just kind of unpack those things as you look at them on the screens. You know, it's interesting that you got to. I think you've got to put Matthew seven right up against the Lord's prayer. If you're going to understand a a balanced theology of prayer, make sense? Make sense? No. Okay, that's all. Trust me, it's true. And and, and what Jesus is not saying, if you read it, he doesn't say, ask and you will receive what you ask for. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, seek and you will find what you're looking for. He doesn't say, knock and the door you're knocking on will be opened. Now, we think it says that because we read it with shallowness. But he promises something different, which I'll get to in a minute. But he's not promising, number one, that my will or what I want will be done. Instead, he's already taught us, approach God in prayer with your needs, but first say, God, hey, my, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is assuming we've already learned this. After all, this is not a multiple weeks of sermons. This is one united sermon. And if you pull this passage out and you ignore what came before it or after it, you're going to make a big mistake in how you understand it. It's, it's like that with any sermon. Let's take my sermon, for example. What if you took um, the first five minutes of my sermon and you chopped it out and that's all, you, that's all you read or listened to? You would think that, I think that when you hit a crisis, God doesn't show up because that's what the story was about. In other words, you can't take five minutes of any sermon without, and you can study it in depth as long as you study it in light of the bigger picture of what Scripture teaches elsewhere, and especially right in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. So we've got to understand that when Jesus is telling us, hey, ask, seek, knock, and God's going to deliver. But what he does not promise is God will deliver what you ask for. God will deliver what you want. God will deliver the advancement of your little kingdom, and God will do it on your timetable. That's not promised. And if we think it is, then we get in big trouble so in light of that what does god promise okay because i want to give you good news not bad here it is are you ready what does he promise look at your bibles i want you to discover it underline it right in the passage in fact i told you to underline it earlier if you listened here we go he says ask seek knock and it will be opened etc why or what man among you is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone what man among you is there, is there that, uh, you know, if he asks for a fish, he's not going to give him a snake, will he? Of course not. If you then, being evil, know how to give what? Good gifts. Underline it. Good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give what you ask for? Is that what it says? you got to answer me. Is that what it says? Okay, good. Look at our interaction here. It keeps you awake second service when it's hot. Okay, here we go. Yeah, it doesn't say... God will give what you ask for. It says, how much more will your Father in heaven give what is good to those who ask of him, to those who seek, to those who knock?" So the promise is that God delivers good gifts. That's the promise. He delivers good gifts to his children. Now, see, that's why I've got to get you to broaden your thinking about God when you learn to pray effectively. Because, see, when I pray, and I taught you this about three weeks ago when we Jumped ahead and took a brief look at this passage and that is this when I look at a problem. Here's what I see I see my problem. I think I understand it, but I probably don't I see a solution that I have And I ask for it. Okay problem one solution one request and I say okay god do your thing Now what does god see when when I when god looks at my problem god sees my problem But he also understands it a lot better than I do god sees one solution true or false false god sees multiple solutions god thinks how can i approach this problem okay dale i know you got a problem man but here's the deal there's all kinds of ways i can respond to this god sees every option and god sees the eternal global ripple effects of the results of every answer every choice he makes and i don't see any of that so my point is this what god is promising is not to do what i ask him to do because fathers who love their kids don't do that now I'm a dad. I got three kids. I got five grandchildren. One who's already in heaven. Six total. But my five grandchildren that are still on the earth, they love to ask me for good things. Okay? Yeah, they do. They they ask me. And we, baby Be- Becky and I, were were babysitting two of our grandchildren. Um, a very active 18 month old and a even more active three year old. And our job, they were their mom and dad were in a wedding. In fact, they were in the wedding. So they were going to be dressed up in wedding clothes. Can you picture this? Our job is simple. Keep them clean until they do their deal. And then keep them happy and quiet during the ceremony. Now, let me tell you something. I've tackled tough jobs before, okay? This is one that involves the Spirit of God and the power of God to make it happen, okay? Okay, yeah. And and, and we, by God's grace, eh, kind of pulled it off with the help of a big sucker in their mouth and... You know, whatever, but you know, but the bottom line is this: <clears throat> If I had given my grandchildren what they asked for, they would have never made the wedding, because we're in the pool at the hotel, kind of playing with them up in Orange County. We're playing with them throughout the morning, and, and we say, "Oh, it's time to get out of the pool." Their request is, "Father, no. Can we stay in the pool?" And their dad, who loves them very deeply and their grandfather, said, "You know, you got to get out." we don't want to get out okay but you got to get out you know know, so that's how the that's how it went okay so you know they had to get them out you know and they had to bribe them but they got them out and they got them in the room and they cleaned them up and we delivered them to the wedding so that's the that's the short version here's the deal loving dads don't give kids what they ask for all the time in fact usually the answer is well okay how about we give you five more minutes and then you get out of the pool. How about we give you this instead of that? we got a better idea. Or no, you don't need that at all. So, you know, the, the idea is you've got to remember your God is called Daddy. He nicknames himself Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. He is a loving dad. And loving dads often don't give kids what the kid thinks they need. And the reality is, spiritually, we are as immature in our understanding of our needs as any three-year-old is. We are all spiritually three-year-olds. And, you know, and, and God says, I will, I promise, be the giver of good gifts. Now, sometimes that's hard for us to understand because life can be very hard. And and many of you in this room have had hard things that you've gone through that cause you to question whether you can even pray and trust this guy called the father with your needs. How do I know that? Well, I've been around long enough that sometimes I know I struggle to really trust God with my needs because I don't see it coming down the way I'm asking for it to. One time in the past, I gave a sermon on a similar topic to this and A dear lady in the church who loves Jesus Christ wrote me this email and gave me permission to share it. I'll share it anonymously. She wrote this to me. She said, Dear Pastor Dale, I am struggling with God as a loving, caring father. Your sermon on Sunday struck deep into my heart and soul. I cannot surrender all to God. How can I surrender when God, when the God in control of all things, allowed the things in my life that he allowed? Pastor Dale, my background, and then she went on to describe the horrific abuse that she encountered at the hands of others and how she cried out to God and it didn't stop. I won't read that part of the email. It's too too specific. But I will pick it up at this statement. She said, I'm writing to you because the anger I have toward God. See, I have such a difficult time with the idea of God as a loving, caring father that I pray to, and ask for things. I wish I could just find a magic bullet to answer my questions and make it all go away. I'm looking forward to your response. Love. Okay, here's the deal. If you got that email from a friend, how would you answer it? Because every one of us in the room have friends who ask that. And in fact, every one of us in the room at times ask that ourselves. So how does Jesus answer it? Because the good thing is, I got some good news. (laughs) I love it. I got some good news. Jesus answers the email. Jesus answers the email. You see, the answer is not easy, though. And the reason the answer is not easy is when you read the scriptures and you're not just trying to make people feel better like a lot of churches do. But that's not my job. My job is to equip you to live with Jesus Christ in real life, in real time, in a real world. And this is what the scriptures teach. It's this, you live on planet Earth. Can you repeat that to me? I live on planet Earth. I do not live in heaven. Good. In other words, you're not hanging with the Father in his house yet. You're not living with your heavenly Father in his house yet. But you have a promise that He's preparing a place for you to live with Him forever and ever in a place where there is no sin, no death, no illness, no sickness, no no abuse, and, and, and a perfectly fit and remade, remodeled body, okay? So picture you at your best, whenever you think that was, okay? Uh, living forever and ever and ever with perfect people in a perfect place forever, enjoying a new earth and a new heaven. Not just a new heaven in the clouds, I mean a new earth. So you're going to live forever and ever and ever in a new recreated Garden of Eden type of an earth and and a new heaven. And you're going to enjoy God forever and ever. That's your destiny. Because if you've trusted Christ, he forgives your sins and that's your future destiny. Now, God remembers that. But here's the deal. You don't live there yet. And Christians tend to think once I trust Jesus, then it's like I'm living in heaven on earth. You're not living in heaven on earth. You're living on earth, period. And what is earth? Earth is an alien world captured by an evil one. It's full of sin, sinful people, sinful place, painful place, in which God has billions of people who have been created in his image with a with a freedom to hurt, with a freedom to abuse, with the freedom to sin, with the freedom to do the stuff that we don't want to do. And we all do some of that also, okay? So the reality is you're living in a pretty bad place right now. And when we realize that, then the promise is not, I'm going to take away the pain, take away the hurt, take away the death. I'm not going to do that right now, but here is my promise. Here's the good news. I have an eternity waiting for you where I will take all that stuff away that you're asking me to remove. Wow. maybe that affects God's perspective when he answers our prayers. Because the reality is, the promise of God is, I love you like a dad, and fathers like me give good gifts to their kids. Now, trust me. Trust me that whatever I do in answering your prayers, I will provide for you. I will give good gifts to you, even if at times you don't understand. That's at the heart of faith. You say, well, Dale, is this asking me to kind of turn off my brain and quit thinking about life and just have a kind of a blind, naive faith? No, no, no. I think it's asking you to turn on your brain and have a very mature faith. Because in the passage, God explains, Jesus explains why we should trust the Father. What's the basis of trusting his promise to provide good gifts? The basis is the character of the Father and of the picture of a son on the cross. You see, listen to it again. He says, look, verse 11. If you, if you being evil by nature, you even know how to give good gifts to your children. You love to give good gifts to your kids. How much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So when you ask, seek and knock, the end result is God promises good gifts. God promises good gifts. So the faith is the character of the Father. You have to to trust that God is is good, that God is honorable, that God does not lie, that God has proven that He is love. You say, well, maybe God doesn't love me. That's where you switch and you remember the Son on the cross. Because when you remember the Son of God sacrificed on the cross for your sin and mine, then that's the basis on which I can trust God. It's interesting that we're going to have communion in a minute. At about 10 different stations around the room, you're going to be asked to slip whenever you're ready. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ to prepare your heart and then go and self-serve yourself the Lord's supper. We're doing it that way today for a reason. We also want you when you approach the table to take one of these cards home with you. And in fact, to to approach the table in a minute, to take a little piece of this Bread representing the body of Jesus. The cup representing the blood of Christ. And take this little yellow verse card. And I want you to just kind of slip back to your seat or to go off and stand alone somewhere in the room and read this card and then partake. Because here's what it says. My Father gives good gifts. Then it says this. For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to his purpose, Romans eight twenty-eight, And then it goes on in Romans eight thirty-one. But how do I know that God gives good gifts, that he causes all things to work together for, for good? For what then shall we say in response to these things? Verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? But, but how do I know God's for me? Verse 32, because he did not even spare his own son, but he delivered him up for us all. And if he did that, how will he, the father, not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? That is all that we need. But you've got to believe it by faith. So when you flip the card over, here's what it says. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because the one who comes to God must believe that God exists and that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. In other words, God gives good gifts to those who seek Him by faith, who trust Him. You see, I want you to take this verse because it shows us why we celebrate communion once a month here at Seacoast. Is because it's because it's what, Christ, what Christ did on the cross and what the Father did in sending Christ is the ultimate proof that God loves me. Because if I look at what God did in response to my prayers last week, I might conclude He doesn't love me. Because you might have had the worst week of your life. And you asked and you didn't receive. And you sought and you didn't find. And you knocked on a door and it didn't open. So if you're expecting the proof of God to be his giving you what you ask for, seek for, and knock for, then you're going to be sorely disappointed. You will walk away from God and you will give up your faith. And that's why I teach you this. Because you need to know it while your life isn't full of crap. Because when the, when the stuff hits the fan, then you need to know you have a faith that is strong and that is able to stand up under all the stuff that life throws at you. Does that make sense? That's what we want to be about. So the reason I can believe this passage, that know that when I ask, seek, and knock, that the Father eventually will deliver a good gift to me. I do that because of the character of the Father... And the sacrifice of the son. Now as I do that. There's a second part of the passage. These will be shorter. Then he goes and he says. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. This is a passage on prayer. So now this is prayer with my eyes open. <laughs> it's okay. So you keep praying with your eyes open. And you begin to look around. To see what is God doing. I call this praying with an attentive faith. Because I'm paying attention to what God's doing. As I'm praying. Asking him to show up. Asking him to fix whatever it is. What do I mean by an attentive faith? Let me give you the list and then I'll talk about them one at a time. Number one, it means to keep watching and waiting while you're praying. Keep watching. Okay, God, how are you responding? Now, as I do that, I should expect the unexpected. Why should I expect the unexpected? Well, it's because, again, I see one problem. I know one solution. I ask for my little simplistic solution. God sees the whole global issues. So I should expect God to answer my prayers in ways that are different than what I asked for. In fact, I've almost, if you really understand the depth of the phrase as you stop your pray, but not my will, but thy will be done. You mean, have you ever tacked that on your prayers? Don't make that a little tacked on phrase. Believe it. Because if that's really what you mean then what you're saying is, okay, God, okay, I'm probably wrong, but here's what I want. And then you think, but God, please don't give me what I'm asking for because I'm probably wrong. But you have a better will. So I want your will to come, not mine. I want your kingdom to move forward, not mine. And I'm surrendered to surrender to you as I pray. But because I only know what I think might be good, I'm going to ask for it. And that's okay. God wants us bringing our simplistic requests Good grief. I pray for my mom to be healed. My mom is 86. My mom is 86. Just finished dealing with her second round of chemo from cancer. Has heart problems. Recently had the one kidney she had left. stop working. Now she's on dialysis three times a week. She had blood pressure problems, blood clots. But she loves Jesus and she's happy. And she wants to keep living. So you know something? I vote for mom to live. And I'm telling God that. I vote for mom to live and have health to get strong. I'm telling God that. But you know, God, I don't want God to answer that prayer the way I'm asking. I say, but God, you know what's best for mom. She's your child. You love on her in the way you know is best. And I'll trust you. See, that's kind of how we have to approach life. Whether a person is 86 and you pray that prayer, or what if the person is only 6? Can you pray that prayer? So expect the unexpected, because God will probably show up. Keep watching and waiting. Expect the unexpected. So you've got to pray with your eyes open. Thirdly, expect the unwanted. All kinds of examples in Scripture and in my life where God answers the prayer. He says, okay. And he shows up, but he gives me something I don't want. One of my favorite examples of this in the Bible is John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist? He's kind of the guy who's out there in the desert making, getting people ready for the coming Messiah, for Jesus. John the Baptist uh, you know, gets arrested. Um, he's thrown in prison. Uh, the plans are in place for him to be beheaded. Okay, not a good way to live life. So John hears rumors that maybe the Messiah has come. John thinks he's come. John sends his disciples to check out Jesus and says, hey, John is in prison. John's probably headed for for getting his head chopped off. But John wants to know, has Messiah come? Are you the guy? And Jesus says, "Okay, you go back and tell John this. Tell John the 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 blind see, the lame walk, In other words, guess what, John? Yes, you're right. Messiah has come. Hooray. And I know you're in prison. So I'm sure John's thinking, can you throw a little Messiah action my way? You know, how about having the guards release me? How about, you know, God controls the mind of the king, all those good promises in Scripture. But then Jesus kind of basically says, so, John, I'm here but your head's going to be on a platter. That's not the answer John wanted. It's not the answer I would want. See, sometimes in life, God says, trust me, I have a bigger global thing going on, and for whatever reason, um, your head's going to be on the platter. Uh, I'm not going to heal you. I'm not going to save you. I'm not going to fix that problem. I'm not going to prevent that issue. Uh, for some reason, God does not intervene. But he says, trust me. Because see, when, 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 God, you know, when we see John's head on the platter, we think, oh man, I hope I never have to do that. And John thought, oh man, I hope I never have to do that. I think John voted to not get Beheaded. But you know how long John regretted being beheaded? How long do you think he lived with his regrets? See, I, to put it in human terms, within five seconds of the axe falling, John's head was back on. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Oh, yeah, the old head was on the platter. But John, John's head was headed back on and he had his full faculties, and he was in the presence of God, he was experiencing the joy of heaven, and 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 the first words out of his mouth was probably, Oh, now I understand. And John would never vote, Lord, can I go back and put the head on? And that's the that's the reality of our faith. Accept the unaccepted, accept the unwanted. There are things in your life that you have been praying for and you are angry with God because he did not take your head off the platter. He did not fix it. He did not seem to show up or he hasn't yet. And here's the deal. Can you do this? In Scripture it says, for in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 13 to 18. Read it. 1 Thess 5, 13, uh, you know, 16 to 18. See, except the unwanted, I can do that if I believe that buried within it somewhere is a good gift from God. And why do I do that? Because I trust the Lord of the cross. That's the fourth thing. Because I keep trusting the Lord of the cross. So as I do this, what's the final outcome? Pray. Pray. Expectantly. See, we ought to be more bold about asking God to do big stuff. Don't be afraid to ask for anything that you desire and need that you think is wise. Ask and you shall receive. But then open your eyes with an attentive faith. So that's an expectant faith. With an attentive faith, seek and watch what God does. Expecting the unexpected, accepting the unwanted, trusting the Lord of the cross. And then finally, Step out and just obey God while you're waiting for his answer. That's praying with an obedient faith. See, if I pray with an obedient faith, it means I just simply, when I don't understand what God wants me to do, then do what you do understand. Another way to say it is this, keep moving in obedience while you're praying. Or I like this little saying, when you don't know what to do, simply do what you know. Simply do what you know. See, a lot of times I don't understand how to handle this situation. God, I'm confused. God, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really confused. How should I handle this tough thing I'm going through and I'm praying for? Them? I'm asking, seeking, knocking. And so far, a door hasn't opened. So what do I do in the meantime when the door isn't opened? I think it's why Jesus gave us verse 12. Verse 12, right after this passage on prayer, says this. In everything therefore, see the word therefore connects it. Therefore, in light of the fact you are asking, seeking, knocking, waiting for the Father to give, expecting the Father to give good gifts to you, and in everything, therefore, treat people or love people the way you want them to love or treat you, for this is the essence of the Scriptures. This is the essence of the law and the prophets. Wow. I used to wonder, why did Jesus tack that onto a teaching about prayer? This is like the great commandment, right? Love God and love people. You know, what I think well, here's this. I think Jesus says when you're a little confused, you don't know what God's up to. He's not answering the way you want him to answer. Then retreat to simple obedience. Retreat when in doubt to simply trust and obey. I'm going to trust you, God, until you answer. And right now I'm confused. But in the meantime, I'm going to obey. And the most important thing is God How can I, through this, love people like I want to be loved? How can I love people while I'm confused? Ah, Man, this thing is heavy. When confused, when frustrated, when even angry with God because He's not answering your prayers the way you want, say, okay, God, while I'm waiting, how can I love the people around me? Because I want to love them the way I want to be loved. You know something? Here's what I've found in my life. A lot of times when I start loving the people around me in the middle of my crisis, God opens a door. God shows me something that I've been seeking. God answers my prayer in a unique way. Because I just keep loving people. So love people until the door opens. And know that eventually you keep asking, seeking, knocking. Eventually, God will open the door to a good gift. Pray with me. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the promise of your good gifts. Well, this is kind of a heavy, it takes my breath away kind of morning, God. I know this is a tough one. But thank you for the encouragement of Jesus. Thank you for the chance to understand what He was really saying. God make us a people here at Seacoast that are bold about it, asking God with an expectant faith, seeking, praying, with an attentive faith, watching for what you are going to do, what you want to do. And most of all, God, give us an obedient faith where we just continue to love people until we see your answers. We thank You that a God who sent His Son to die for us on the cross is the God who gives good gifts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close out our worship time by giving you a nice, nice sweet time to just sit, listen, pray. You can sing along if you want to or just use it to meditate with the Lord. Confess your sin, and if you're a follower of Jesus, then we would invite you to very quietly, when there's nobody else up there, don't rush all at once. We've actually given you ten different stations sprinkled around the room where you can go up and receive a piece of this bread that reminds us of the body of Christ given for you. A cup representing the blood of Christ given for you. And also something new a small yellow card and on that yellow card which we want you to take back with you to your seat take it home with you carry it with you all week long i'd say even memorize it here's what it says my father gives good gifts how do i know that because we know that all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose how do we know that Because he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all freely gives us all the other stuff that we really need. This supper that you're about to eat is a meal designed to remind you of that. So that you can pray the way we've studied this morning. So use this time as an extension of the sermon. When you flip the card over, it gives one more challenge. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to God must believing that God exists and that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. It's faith. Reaffirm your faith in Christ. If you have some heavy stuff that has caused you to be angry with God or frustrated because you asked and you didn't think He answered, then maybe use this time to deal with that with Him reaffirm your faith in him as the giver of good gifts father thank you for the chance to share communion together to sit to worship to reflect to recommit ourselves to you thank you that father you give good gifts to your children and thank you that the gift that we celebrate now was the greatest gift of all in jesus name